Well, welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along. This is going to be a great show. And I know many people in my audience have uh, who are, are fans of Rich Mullins. I know that many people sing Rich Mullins on a regular basis, and you've probably already had a song come to mind since you found out about this. But we also might have some people who just found this, maybe just doing a search. Maybe Rich Mullins is in your playlist. So you are in for a treat today. Uh, we'll, we'll be coming to that in just a second. But I want you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And that means like certainly we're, develop, we're training pastors. That's a part of our tradition. That's what we want to do. We want to serve the church in this way, but we do that through you know, academic programming. But we also feel part of our job is just developing leaders in the church, and that includes several lay initiatives. So you can find out more about Wesley Biblical Seminary at wbs.edu. Also, I'm thankful to Bill Roberts um, from his, in his financial planning company who have helped me put this podcast together. He's a sponsor of this podcast, been so since the very beginning. You can find out more about Bill at WilliamHRoberts.com. He's particularly good at helping people who have like focus on things like housing allowances and, and guiding people in ministry towards thinking about planning for their retirement, which isn't something that people in ministry do very well, just from my experience. All right. And finally, I want you to know that there is a free resource available for you. It's called Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. It's an eight-page PDF kind of guide text to help you think about preaching and teaching in a deeper way. And it's an exegetical tool, but it's also a creative tool. And I have a 45-minute teaching that goes along with that. I'll send that to you for free if you sign up for my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. All right. Well, I am so glad to welcome to the podcast, James Brian Smith. That's how I knew him. But now I know his name really is Jim. Jim, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> uh, wonderful to be here. Thanks, Andy. Well, I was delighted to see in the IVP catalog this book. And uh, sadly, like I didn't realize, I was just like, oh, somebody has written a book on Rich Mullins. I've got to get it. And um, then when I got the book, I saw it said 25th edition, 25th anniversary edition. I realized, ah, I'm 25 years late. I didn't know this book had been out. It's such a great devotional biography. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for writing this, Jim. Oh, well, thanks for saying it. And yeah, that's what it is. It's a devotional biography. It's kind of its own unique little genre because it's not a straight up, just a bio. Here's the facts of his life, but it's more what, what, what it made this guy who he was. And I, I don't know if you have it as an audiobook. I'm just kind of fresh off of reading it, but this would be a great audiobook if you could go through and so many times you quote the song, so the many songs. of his songs and yeah. provide the context for that. But then it's also thematically fits it. It would, it would be a great audiobook if it just led right into him yeah. singing those songs. Um, okay, true. sorry, I'm fan fanboying out here. I'll give you my context. I Rich Mullins was one of the first like three artists that my parents allowed me to listen to, right? And so Awesome God was just uh, always played. It was like on a circular play uh, playlist for me if there, there wasn't such a thing, but I was singing it regularly. But you have an interest. It wasn't just that you had an interest in Rich Mullins' music. You had, uh, I mean, a dramatic personal relationship with him. I mean, maybe more so than anybody outside of his family. Would you tell us a little bit about that um, as a, as a kind of entree into this book? Well, you're, you're right. I, uh, so Rich and I became friends really long before I understood his music, which is a strange thing. And I think something he probably appreciated. Um, 
I, I like you mentioned, I knew Awesome God. That was that song was just so so. It was played on the radio. It was sung in churches. It was so that I knew, but I didn't know anything really about him beyond that. So um, he just he, he became a student at Friends University, where I teach in Wichita, Kansas, and um, he had come to Wichita to be mentored by um, a friend of his dad, who was a, just a, a guy who was a really deep. Uh, salty Christian, you know, meant to mentor him. And um, he had fled Nashville because he just didn't want to become, get sucked up into that star machine thing that they were trying to do. And he's like, I'm an artist and I pre- talk about Jesus, but I don't want to be a celebrity. I don't want right. to. So he sort of fled uh, Nashville in a way and ended up coming to Wichita to meet, to be with this guy. Well, six months after getting to Wichita, the guy has a heart attack. Oh, wow. Morris is his name. And it was just, it was a shock to everyone. And so Rich was like, well, I'm in Wichita. I don't know what to do. And he had a passion for teaching music to um, kids on the Native American reservation. Yeah. That just had always been something he'd done some trips there. And he, his heart really went out and he thought, if I could just, I just want to be a music teacher. Wow. And uh, so that was his goal. So he thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to get a degree in music education, which is really not true. He could have just gone. <laughs> he, was, he was already probably over. But to his credit, he thought, I should probably learn about how to teach. And so he enrolled at Friends University to get a music education degree. And he was... And this is after he's a... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say star. He would probably... Re- well, yeah, he would not like that, but he was. You're right, Andy. He was, a, he was very famous and very well-known. And he was also like 34. I mean, he was okay. not the age of college students. So that stood out in class or when he was sang in the in the choir. Or he was in the, okay. He was in the college band. Um, so so yeah, it was it was an interesting choice that he made. But while he was on campus, I actually saw him from a distance and he was wearing really tattered jeans and a white t-shirt. And he looked, he didn't, he looked like he fit. He had long hair and I I, was, I thought, should I call security? Like, I don't know. <laughs> this is a homeless guy. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, he, sure. Yeah. He really stood out and he was about a hundred yards away and a student was standing next to me and she knew that I was staring him down. And she says, do you know who that is? And I said, no, she said, that's Rich Mullins. And I said, the awesome God guy. And she's like, no, that's, <laughs> see, it doesn't look like the album cover. You know, they kind of had short hair and all cleaned up on the album. But um, so he came to chapel that day. I was speaking in chapel and afterwards he introduced himself and found out my wife and I were living not far off campus. And uh, he just showed up at 10 o'clock that night and just knocked on our door. 10 o'clock wow. at night. We're like, we're going to bed, but okay. <laughs> and he said, can I come in? And he did. And we talked for about two hours and started to develop a friendship. And, and then kind of like the cat that you feed that, you know, they just keep, he just kept coming back every night. He would just knock on our door and hang out. And he did that for quite a while. And then we moved into a different house that had an attic apartment and um, he was going to change his living situation. He said, Hey, can I just, can I live with you guys? And I said, well, I don't know why you want to live with us. I mean, my wife and I, we've got a one-year-old son. We're not living in a great neighborhood. You could live anywhere you want in Wichita. I mean, he's like, no, I want to live with a normal family. And so, wow. My wife and I talked it over and said, okay. And so he moved in and um, we just became really close friends, you know, just a lot of, a lot of long conversations, 
heart to heart sharing, um, authenticity, being real with each other. And he just became like a soul friend, like a, a, a person that I, and along the way, I started to appreciate his music. I was, right. I was especially like the, the album Liturgy Legacy and, and a Ragamuffin Band. I mean, that album, I, which I think is his best album. I mean, I, I didn't know about it. And I was just going, wow. this guy's a genius. Like this music wow. lyrics right. are so profound. So it was a weird, it was a weird thing for me, Andy, because I, I was becoming friends with someone who was already a celebrity. I didn't really get it. Right. And, and yet he was not wanting that kind of life. He wanted a more normal kind of life. So interesting. Yeah. Maybe so I really I knew it in that way. Give, uh, give a chance. I, I certainly won't give you enough time to answer this question, but even your own history, I mean, you interacted with some well-known people through Friends University. Maybe just t say a little bit of, about yourself up to that point. Like but when you met him, I met, I met, I know, I, I know a little bit. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I sort of joke that I'm like the Forrest Gump of of uh, Christianity. Like I, I was just really privileged to, you know, in that movie, Forrest Gump, <laughs> for no good reason, rain into all these famous people. And that's right. kind of what happened to me. I came to Friends University. Richard J. Foster was a professor. He wrote Celebration of Discipline. And, and so he was my professor. And we developed a strong friendship and mentorship. And then we worked together. And through Richard, I met Dallas Willard. And <laughs> we became... And I started, I was Dallas's TA for seven years. And, and then he and I did a lot of ministry projects together. And so, and I met Brendan Manning fairly early um, in the journey and he became a good friend. He, in fact, he and Rich and I together, uh, Rich also developed a friendship with Brennan. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm just, it's kind of weird how through Richard Foster, I met Henry Nowen. And so I just weird how you, when you think of some of the names and I look and go, I don't know what you had in mind, God. Why would I need that? <laughs> and, and you were part of the Renovare project as well with Richard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Richard started Renovare right here at Friends University. Okay. Um, in 1988 and not far from the office where I'm sitting right now. And so we started that ministry together and along with some other people, Dallas, one of them. And um, yeah, been been involved in that ever since. So um, since you were a, a TA for Dallas Willard, were you, or were you a philosophy student? Was that your discipline? No, it was actually, he, he got invited to teach a doctor of ministry course at Fuller uh, called um, uh, Spirituality and Ministry. Interesting. And it was interesting. So it was a, it was a DMIN class. And, and so all of them were people in ministry that were getting their doctorate and, and uh, they chose to have a class on spirituality and, and ministry and how that works. And, they invited Dallas to teach it. And he did the first year and it word got out how this class was so fantastic. And the next year sure. it doubled in size and Dallas said, I, I, I need some help. And so they contacted me because Dallas knew me and I, I knew Fuller and boom. And so I did that. It was really, really transforming just to, to be, because really I was, I to call myself a TA. I really was just sitting there trying to <laughs> understand it myself. I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a what a blessing for your life to be able to have those experiences. Like Forrest Gump, that's a good good. Okay, so so the ragamuffin man himself steps into your into your house, and actually, when you said that about him coming uh, at ten o'clock at night to your house, you have a one year old son. Um, it, you had a story in your book about you know the way Rich looked at possessions. That there was a time where he was on tour, and about a shower. Does this sound familiar? I can. Do you yeah. want to tell that story? Oh, wait, which one about the shower? Oh, he just kind of, uh, I'll see if I can say it. Uh, he, 
he, he looked at possessions and you highlight this, like yeah. he wasn't interested in money, apparent like that just wasn't a part of his life. And so he looked at life, like if somebody let him do something, you just participate in it. And no. he met somebody one time on tour and he was getting kind of stinky because that wasn't too important to him. And oh, he, that um, story. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, yes, you, you can tell it much better. I, I use my language for my children kind of stinky. So why don't you finish it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he really did have this incredible, and maybe it was part of his Quaker heritage growing up, but he had this real simplicity about him. He didn't, possessions did not possess him. And, mm. and he, I, I mean, I really saw that. Um, he didn't want to know how much money he made. He, he, um, he got an accountant and he said, I want all of the royalty money to go to you and you'll be the steward of it. And you just give me an allowance and I want to be paid whatever the average working man's wage is in the country right now. It's like, it was like $20,000 at the time. Wow. And, and just give me an allowance. And it was just funny because I, I mean, I, I knew how much he was actually making. And so to think <laughs> that he, he was living that way. And I, I mean, there were times that he was, he would say, let's go see a movie. And I'd go, yeah, that's great. And he's like, I don't know if I have enough money. I want to go, you have enough money. You, <laughs> but you don't think you do because you're living on your little allowance. That's great. But yeah, he just, I mean, when he died, uh, we took all of his possessions and everything he owned fit in an eight by 10 room. Wow. I mean, everything he owned, he just, he just didn't, he, material possessions did not mean much to him. And um, he was, relationships did, people did, um, experiences with people. That's what really, and he had art and music and that's what drove him. And you said the same thing too. Um, I mean, I know I'm kind of jumping a little bit later in the book, just how he looked at success in general. Like that's how he viewed, uh, like success was not an issue for him. Now, that, that sounds very spiritual to say that, but this was a real practical thing for him. It's like it came to him, but it wasn't something that he sought. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, it didn't, it didn't have the same pull. Uh, he, he wanted his, his art, his music to be, um, respected I, I mean i it's not like he had like no care at all like, like if he if he did an album he really wanted the, the record label to promote it he wanted he wanted fairness for the work he did but in terms of uh, fame and celebrity uh status and the money that came with it that that just did not had no no grip on him yeah so you you organize this book in an interesting way that you pick out 10 themes and then you walk through each of those things. Now we won't, I won't be able to go through all of them. That's why people need to go and buy this book, right? Uh, but nevertheless, one of the key things is understanding uh, the, like his own roots. But then there's there's this emphasis too on the person of Jesus. And I remember, and it's funny, I, I, I not funny, it's interesting to me that I was aware of this song and you have to see kind of like my imagination of, going back and remembering, listening to this, is this song, Boy Like Me, um, Man Like You. And emphasizing this, this significance, it's like he, I was probably, I don't know, eight years old and I'm sitting in the back of a minivan and there's a, a tape player playing this song. Mm -hmm. But this song captured me because he's thinking like of the significance of the incarnation that Jesus is, is was a boy and all the type of things he might have like if he liked a cute girl as she walked by <laughs> i mean th this was this was a key theme like he had a a rich christology could you talk about that a little bit very much so yeah very much so 
he Jesus was really central in his understanding. He 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 knew what it meant to say that 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 Jesus experienced everything that we experience mm. and took everything upon himself apart from sin. And yeah, the, the the person of Jesus was was central. In fact, the very last album that he had written that sadly didn't get to be produced, he just he called it the Jesus record hmm. uh, or the Jesus album was how he talked about it to his friends. And he'd been writing it the last year of his life. And I mean, he'd been writing some of those songs for a while, but they were all coming together under the one theme of Jesus. And so he actually was in Chicago doing some recording and um, from for some other people. And he, he had, thank goodness, he had uh, one particular night and he thought, I think I should just get these songs out. And so he got literally an old boombox sort of thing, sat it on a piano and played the songs of what we know as the Jesus album. And they're all songs that are centered on Jesus. Yeah. And thank goodness that he did that because um, they were able then to sort of do some things with that tape as well as then a bunch of contemporary Christian recording artists, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, and others stepped in and actually recorded the songs. But that tells you, you know, his, he had this strong focus on Jesus. And Boy Like You, Man Like Me is, uh, Boy Like Me, Man Like You, get him backwards, is really, it's really beautiful, isn't it? Because he's yeah. saying, you experience these things that I experience, and, and yet I also, I want to be a man like you. Like, I want to grow up into the person who you were. And Amen. it's just poetic yeah. and lovely. It's one of my favorites. This is it, how much of there's this, what I didn't anticipate now. And I had no idea about the connection that, that he actually went and studied at friends university and yeah. then and read the book. I had no idea that he had a Quaker background and it's fascinating to me. How much of that type of emphasis and even of, of his, of his theology and how that's developed in a literary way throughout his writing comes from that tradition. It, it had a big influence on him. He, and some of his earliest memories were um, in his, the church that his mom and his grandma <clears throat> participated in a Quaker church in, in, in uh, Richmond, Indiana. And he just had such admiration for the Quakers and um, the things that drive what is important to them, simplicity, that kind of authenticity, listening to the spirit. And so it, 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 it deeply formed the early part of his life. And then his father had a kind of, his mom had sort of said, you need to go to church with us, John. I mean, you need to, it's important. And yeah. his dad was, you know, was, was a farmer and <clears throat> coal mining family. And this wasn't, he said, I, I, I can't do the Quaker thing. He said, mm. you, you got to meet me halfway. So they, they ended up going to the Christian church. And, uh, and his mom said, look, if that's what's going to take to get dad there, then let's go. And so that's, many of the, the sort of teenage formative years were within the Christian church. And he really picked up a lot of that centrality of the scripture, um, the importance of letting the scripture guide everything became central. So he was really in, in, informed by that. He also had this powerful experience with St. Francis, um, mm. that movie, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. Um, that film really touched him and he started studying St. Francis. And so he found some interest in studying the Catholic church. Yeah, yes. And and actually when he was living with us was when he went through RICA or the you know like catechism. He went yeah, through yeah. that through that period and um it was interesting because he would come home every Wednesday night from that and we would talk for like 2 hours and 
he would say, here's what I agree with. Here's what I don't agree with. Here's so we had these great conversations. And at the end of it, he said, I just don't think I want to become Catholic. I admire a lot about it, but I don't, it's not who I am. And, and I think part of it was his roots within the Christian church and the Quaker church that made him say, I don't know that I can say this is the one true way. And, but he was very ecumenical to be sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I loved too that uh, like you, you bring out several quotes. I'm curious where they, they came from, like several places you have long quotes from him. And one of the things he talks about is like, I, I wish the Quakers would just be more Quaker. I wish the <laughs> Baptists would be more. Imagine he say his name, my tradition. Like there was an ecumenical uh, focus that he had. It's interesting too. Like he seemed almost like so prophetic to me because even as a teenager, a boy, like I had this sense, like this isn't like your regular CCM artist. Like I, I had that definite sense. I, I, it's hard to even describe what it was. Maybe it was kind of like a, a folksy, even just the sound of his music. But then like, it's almost like he was so ahead of his time with embracing some of these things. Like the when he said those things about nonviolence, following Jesus, going to even, even like the ecumenic, ec, ec, ecumenism that he had wasn't, was something that might've been embraced in, uh, more later. It's just, did, did you have that sense that he was ahead of his time? Oh, those are great words, Andy, because it, it was prophetic. It was, he he knew the Bible so well. He was, he knew, I mean, he, I, I could say he was like a Bible scholar the, in, in the, his depth of biblical knowledge was astounding. He was, he's, he was widely read theologically. So I would consider him a great theologian because he, he could, we could go all over the place into Chesterton to, yeah, or to whoever, um, church history he understood well and so yeah i mean he was he was all of those things and yet it came out in a prophetic way and you put that really well because um after he had passed and the family had asked if i would write the book uh, i spent a lot of time interviewing ccm artists and they all said what you just said was mm. he was a prophet like we're sitting here trying to like write a hit song that they'll use in church. And, you know, we, we'd like it to be successful. And Rich was just, he was preaching another thing saying, this isn't yeah. about any of that. And I think that's why many of them came to his funeral in Nashville. And because they knew this guy was different. Um, and he, he, he was speaking to something that even they were challenged by. Yeah. The, the, I think a literary critic and like a Christian literary critic would have a, uh, a field day just analyzing his music and, and, and i mean that in all in a positive way like there's just so much richness and you bring up um uh the, the song creed that he has yeah. which is the apostles creed and you point out um that he really was struck by gk Chesterton's line in orthodoxy that like that led him to an orthodox i'm I, I, for our audience, in case you don't know, like Orthodoxy is one of the better known books by G.K. Chesterton. And you have a line where, um, and all of a sudden, I couldn't believe it. it was like a light bulb moment for me, Jim. Thank you so much for cluing me in that this is where he drew this from. But God and humanity made it and it made me talking about orthodoxy. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, there it is. I did not make it. No, it is making me. This was a key emphasis too. And this is connected. I'm going to ask you to bring that idea together with the way he uh, signed autographs. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's really good. That's a good connection. Yeah. He, he read Chesterton. He loved Chesterton and that particular line. Cause I asked him about it. You know, we would talk a lot of, about his songs and he, he liked to talk about lyrics cause he was, you know, he really loved, uh, 
and he was, I mean, really unsurpassed. I mean, if you think about it, people are still listening to his music today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that. think about that. That's stunning. How many people from that era in CCM are still, we're still, we're still listening to those songs, mm. like almost nobody. There. Yeah. And even 15 years ago or 10 years ago, I mean, it's all sort of the new stuff. And, but what's the, why the endurance? Why, why do we still listen to his music? And yeah. it's because the lyrics were so, the music's beautiful, but the lyrics right, right. were poetic, they were prophetic. And so when I, when I asked him about, about the song Creed, and he said, well, to be honest, we were one song short for the album. <laughs> and, and he said, I was on an airplane and I was reading through something and I came across the Apostles Creed and a light dawned on him. On him and he went, you know, I didn't make this like the Apostles Creed. I didn't make this up. God made it and through the church. And he says, oh, that's like the, the Chesterton. God and humanity made it. Humanity being like the, the church, the early church, the early church that came together and put this this from these councils. And he said, but there it's but it's it's like making me. And that's when it clicked. And so he started right. I was on an airplane. He started writing what became Creed um, because, yeah, it, it, he just saw this is what's shaping my life. And then what you alluded to. So his autograph was always be God's G-O-D apostrophe S like belong to God. That's right. That's that's your destiny. That's your call. Because um, wow. God is the one who's made this all happen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, well, there's always a song that stands out to me. Um, and that's I I lived three places in Indiana. I was born in Rushville, Indiana, not far from Richmond. And then I oh. lived in Bloomington and then in Indianapolis. My parents were Salvation Army, our Salvation Army officers. And for a period, we traveled all around all the Salvation Armies in um, Indiana. And I was I went to the Richmond Salvation Army and oh, wow. one of my favorite songs. I mean, to this day, my kids love it. My my, my, my kids are 15, 13, 11. Yeah. Mm. Hold me, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You, you know where I was going. I and boy, so, yeah. If ever, if ever there's time now, I want I'm just curious if you can help me figure out what I mean. I can't help but think. And I had a friend who went and visited a musician, Phil Leger. Um, he does the music for my that you'll hear on this podcast. Um he went and visited and he, he had this idea and I had something. So I heard a Salvation Army brass band. I played in a Salvation Army brass band in really Indiana. Right. Ah. And, and so he, he says in that song, which is so intense and personal out of nowhere in a Salvation Army band is playing this hymn. hymn. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to find it here. Make sure I don't, I, I, if I sang it and which wouldn't be good for anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he said, and the, Salva and the Salvation Army band is playing this hymn, and your grace rings out so deep, it makes my resistance seem so thin. Yeah. What do you think? I, what What do you think that he's referring to there? Like, I, I've always wondered, what does he think this hymn is? The Salvation Army is singing this. Yeah. Hymn. What 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 hymn? I, yeah. I don't. I could. I couldn't <laughs> guess. I mean, but I knew. I know this. He loved the hymns. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he would end his concerts um, by having the audience he and the audience singing hymns together wow and uh, that was that was his sort of a he he felt like yeah this is a concert and you came to hear my music and i get that but the center of, of why we're here is jesus and, and i know we're not a church but let's let's sing these songs because they were so important to him 
Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. No one's ever asked that. I, I not that I should have an answer because I I don't know. I'm, well, I'm, I, I don't think he's referring to a specific him. I think yeah. it's something. Now, now, honestly, this was a hard section for me to read, and I I I've seen some YouTube videos. I know he's a very vulnerable. He was a very vulnerable person, right? Yeah, and he was prophetic. But but the pages before this section, I had a hard time reading because he's so vulnerable about his own temptation. Yeah. And you said that he wrote this song when he was in Amsterdam and just going to be right. quite frank when he was sexually tempted, like yeah. he was tempted by the, the world that was around him. And I know some people have just taken this and made all sorts of impl implications about his life or whatever, but, but he was, I mean, he, he even talked about his own addictions and things and, but nevertheless, yeah. like it was in the midst of that time that he wrote this song, Hold Me Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Amsterdam. He's in a hotel room. And, and uh, you know, Rich was smart enough to know that he would be better off if he had a traveling companion yeah. as accountability and that sort of thing. But the, um, that that person he was with on that day, he'd fallen asleep and Rich didn't want to wake him up. And you're right. I mean, you're in Amsterdam. So it's not just lust or something. It's also there's whatever you want to yeah, sure. vibe or take as substances and any, I mean, it was all just, it was legal. So he's just thinking I can give the, go do all these things that are taboo and forbidden and sin. Um, but I feel this temptation and I don't want to do it. Can you help me? Jesus? can you just help me? And I think the reason that song is so meaningful to so many people and has been for years is because of the authenticity. I mean, it's just yeah. so raw. Yeah. And I think everybody who listens to it can go, yeah, I've had those moments when I'm like, just Jesus, come on, help me here. This is, yeah. I'm feeling this struggle. And that that's one of the beauties of when he goes to the, when he goes to that place, that's really true. If it's true for him, it's going to be true for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that song has always been like one of these ones that keeps coming back. There's an album that came out after he died. I think just called songs and it's just, highlighted song it was yeah, hits. yeah i loved I, I love that one that one comes up in that um okay i, I this this is like not a great transition but you, thinking about his possessions again you told tell about the way he even uh worked on your coffee cups at your house <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well so it was he had this class it was an eight o'clock band class which everything about that's kind of funny but what did here he, he play was, what did he play he in the band he played the French horn <laughs> and yeah. And yeah. And the cello, he was learning the cello. <laughs> and so he thought I need to stretch myself, you know, I mean, obviously I can play the dulcimer and the guitar and piano, but, right. but you know, let me try these other instruments. And uh, so, so yeah, he had an eight o'clock band class and our band teacher, John Taylor's his name. He's retired since then, but uh, he was known for being pretty tough. He was, okay. he, was the, he was that teacher who could just look at you when you made it miss the note or whatever and kind of make you feel bad. And so Rich was like scared of this guy. And I would say, <laughs> you're scared of a, you know, Midwest Christian college Bible school kind of like band, band teacher. teacher? <laughs> you know, this, this is, this is, I mean, it's not Juilliard or something. I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying no, no, is great. my university is great. And the, our fine arts is fantastic. Cause if anybody ever hears, they seriously are fantastic. But still, I was just thinking, you're a world famous 
world traveling musician with hits and I mean, played before at probably at times 15 20,000 people at a time he, he literally played at Carnegie or not Carnegie Hall a Radio City Music Hall so yeah I mean so when you're that guy yeah and you're scared so he was like you got to help me get up every day because I'm not good at that he wasn't much <laughs> of so so that was my pledge is that I would because I was a morning person I would get up and I would wake him up and give him bring him a cup of coffee and uh, get him going. And quite often he would pour himself another cup of coffee. Well, one day I looked in the cupboard and I was like, saying to my wife, I said, where are our mugs? Like, where are our coffee mugs? She goes, I have no idea. I said, we used to have like 15. There's none. And uh, so Rich got home and I said, hey man, we, we can't find our mugs. And he goes, oh yeah, I take them with me in the morning. And we went out to his Jeep and in the back seat of the Jeep were like 15 mugs. <laughs> and we, dude, did you ever think about bringing him back? Like, you know, he just, he just didn't, uh, he didn't, he laughed. We laughed a bit, but yeah. He didn't. It's such an interesting thought. Like I had no idea uh, that he attended, for, I came back as a student so he could be a music teacher on the reservation. Um, the thought of him being in a band and I was a music major at a Christian college okay. at university. Uh, I have that picture oh, yeah. seems very clear to me. Uh, and then uh, I also, you he came in and took your class as well. Yeah, was that, was that your? You said the first class that you taught at, at the university or something like that. Or I'm, I've been there a couple. I've been there a few okay, years. Okay, not many, but still. I mean, I was still kind of a young rookie teacher in some ways. But yeah, he he signed up for it, and I was like, "Why are you doing that?" He goes, "I I want to take this." You know, it's a, it was a gen ed class in I don't know a Christian spirituality, I think, or something, but. Yeah, that was intimidating when he came in. I thought, I don't know if I want to uh, teach it, you know, but but he was great about it. He would, you know, hey, he would just uh, let me ramble on. And then I would occasionally say, hey, Rich, do you have anything to add? And um, wow, a couple of times I gave just, him uh, even gave him the gave him the, gave him the chalk, the chalkboard. Said, yeah, go for it. And uh, he was he would graciously teach him, which was which was fun. So. Excuse yeah. me, I just had a little sneezing fit. It's never happened on a podcast. So if people saw me disappear from the camera for a second, <laughs> that's what was going on there. But oh, you're okay. Excuse, yeah, I'm. I am okay. That's great. Now, uh, tell us just a little bit uh, about the uh, his work in the reservation. I, I know we only have a few more minutes, but I'd love to hear. Yeah. So yeah, he when he graduated, um, he had he had been speaking with some folks that he'd worked with on the reservation when he would go just make little trips in. And um, they had secured a place for him to go to Navajo Reservation. And um, he he went there and a guy he'd kind of been mentoring, uh, who'd also graduated from Friends, went with him. And they were doing collaborating on music projects. And they went out and just lived there. And um, he started to teach and they built a little uh, a hogan for them to live in. They wow. hand built it, too, which was kind of impressive. And he just lived amongst the people there and did that for a couple of years and wow. really loved it. Um, it was, it was a, a great season of his life. I'm grateful for that because it was while he was still living there, it was when, when he had, um, and he, he was thinking about maybe not continuing it. There was some debate about, you know, is this, was this a person, a phase of my life, but it, coming to an end, but he, um, but that's then he had the car accident. And um, so we'll never know what would another, what would have happened? Was he making music still at that time? Was he? Yeah. Like the Jesus all? album I mentioned, oh, he had okay. been working on that. He also wrote a musical, which is really fascinating. 
um, it's called Canicle of the Plains. And I remember, I can vividly remember the night I had come home, he was on the front porch swing and uh, he was working on something in writing. And I said, what are you working on? He says, well, I, I've written a musical. It's like, what? That's, a, it, it gets a little crazier, Andy. So I said, what's it about? And he said, well, it's the life of St. Francis, but it's set in the American Civil War. Oh my goodness. I just <laughs> went, okay, that's okay. <laughs> and so- I mean, the story of St. Francis is he had come from a war and when he was recovering is when God said, you know, I want you to rebuild my church. And so he thought, well, what if it was like he's coming from the Civil War and God tells him to rebuild his church? And so he just imagined that. Um, but he wrote, he wrote, I think there's 10 songs, I think, to Canical the Plains. And he wrote the script and um, it was performed at Wheaton. And it was going to be performed at Friends when he had the car accident. Okay. So they ended up still doing the performance sometime later, but it never kind of went anywhere. There is a CD. It's very hard to get, but there's a CD. And um, some of the DC Talk guys sing on that. And um, the woman from Sixpence, None the Richard, also sings on it on the album. I can't remember her name. I I can sing Kiss Me. Or something like that. Yeah, you know? yes. I forget her name, but that's, yeah, that, that was the big hit. You're pulling yeah. back in all the 1990s Christian Christian culture out of me. It's yeah. Dumb. And I, I, I read about that. I know that he had Shane Claiborne was a part of that. Yeah, musical. Shane was, 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 yeah, he was. So that's was uh, in, in his in his book. So so interesting, all these all these connections. Now, you wrote this book 25 years ago. The family, you work with the family on this. Right. But it's been 25 years. So what's different now? Or like what type of reflections do you have at this point now thinking about his life? Well, you know, we just we just had in the fall a a 25th anniversary celebration. We chose to have the one we had on our campus. We we chose to to have it on um, on his birthday, um, October 21st, not September 19th. That's the day he died. But October 21st, we had a we had the celebration and it was pretty amazing. Like four, five hundred people came from all over the country. And we had a night where they just um, they performed a bunch of his songs. That was uh, guys who'd played in various bands that he'd started came together and rehearsed and played them. And it was a celebration of his life. It was really wonderful. And it was partly also we were you know promoting saying, hey, the 25th anniversary of the book is coming out. Um, and so it just really made me think a lot. But the main thing and I alluded to it earlier is how in the world is this guy still as relevant and yeah. ministering? This far, his his brother David came up to me and said, "You know, Jim, I, I as members of the family after he died, we thought, boy, I hope people remember him in a couple of years. Like even in five years, that would be that would be great." Yeah. But David said to me, "We had no idea that 25 years later, people would still be so um, blessed by music, and and, and it it still it it stands up, which is kind of strange too. It hasn't yeah. aged." It really, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll hear a song, I'll play a song and think that song is as good. It doesn't, it doesn't age. I don't know. So the lyrics, right. all that is, is stunning. And I'm, I'm just grateful that the family asked me to write the book. It was the hardest book I've written because every day I'm writing about this friend, dear friend yeah. who died, the interviews I was conducting and just writing. It was a, it was a pretty weepy book to write, but also pretty joyful because I got to learn things about him I didn't know. Where was the sources, uh, the sources for all these um, quotes from him? Um, 
Well, I'll tell you, I got, well, I was, I was forever blessed by, there was a, a, a woman who was a big fan of riches and she was able to collect, I think just about every radio interview he'd ever done. And she had a collection of his print things because he wrote for CCM magazine. He wrote various. So he he wrote a a few dozen articles and things like that. But she put everything into this this database. And so I could it was the greatest gift as a writer because I could just type in the church or or family or, you know, something. And boom. There, it would come up and like, there's this quote about his family or there's this quote about Jesus or this quote about the church. And I was like, I'm, that that was a, a huge blessing. Wow. That's yeah. so interesting. Game changer. Well, the, again, let me just let people know. Well, we didn't talk about the n- name of the book and it's a unique one. Maybe maybe quickly tell it, but it's, the book is by IVP, 25th anniversary edition, Rich Mullins, An Arrow Pointing to Heaven. An Arrow yeah. Pointing by by James Brian Smith, Jim Smith, who teaches at Fringe University, just come out here. Uh, tell us that story, and maybe that'd be, be one of the last things we can do here. Yeah, but that becomes really, I mean, someone said to me not too long ago with a book coming out, you know, what's the one thing that you say this guy was really all about? And he was very human, and you have alluded to it, Andy. I mean, he was he he was authentic about his brokenness, his sinfulness, his struggles. He was as human as you can get. I mean, I saw him <laughs> and there's a movie called Ragamuffin and, and it, it doesn't portray him in, very, entirely accurately because you think if you watch the movie and I'm, I'm I'm grateful for the movie, but if you watch the movie, you think, well, he was just this angry guy who had a drinking problem or something that that was very small part of who he was. He was funny. He was fun, but he had a gift like nobody else to take you to God, to his songs do. I mean, I moved to doxology when I listened to his music. I, I, I want to praise God. And he had that gift. And so he was in Ireland and doing a photo shoot. He was up on a hill by these castle ruins. And the photographer was down at the bottom of this hill looking up. And he said, oh, man, like, raise your arms. And so Rich kind of kind of went like this. And he goes, no, no, lower, lower. And he went like this. And the photographer yelled up. He said, man, that's awesome. You look like an arrow, like an arrow pointing to heaven. Yeah. And when Ben, the photographer, told me that story, I just thought that's that's who he was. He was an he was a person pointing us to God and not himself. Yeah, I love that. That's what I I, I didn't know about the ragamuffin movie. Forget like I didn't know. So are there other things that need to be corrected historically that aren't right that people t- say about him. It just, I thought maybe that'd be a good chance to give that opportunity. Well, yeah. I mean, some people have written some books since in uh, little, little things they put together from times they knew rich and, and, and it's, it's all fine. I'm, I'm grateful for anything that helps keep his life and legacy alive. The movie, I just want to say, and I love the movie that David Schultz is a dear friend who produced the movie and directed it. Okay. And, so forth. I mean, it's just he had to do a story arc. You know, when you're making a movie, yeah. you can't do your someone's whole life in two hours. So he chose to really focus on Rich's pain okay. and some most of it coming from his relationship with his dad. So he 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 had that he was up against that struggle. And um, so the movie kind of, I think, it skews too much to make it look like he was this not happy guy. But he was really happy. He was fun okay. and funny. 
And uh, yeah, yeah. All you have to do is listen to the song uh, "Screen Door on a Submarine." Screen Door, yes. This is this is a fun guy. Yes, so, right. Well, um, my last question is this: I ask most people the title of my podcast is "More to the Story." So I wonder, is there more to the story to Jim Smith than is normally told? I mean, you, you, beyond being the Forrest Gump of Christianity. <laughs> um. Yeah, I just, I mean, the Forrest Gump thing is pretty real. I, I still wonder uh, what God had in mind in, in cre creating these incredible experiences and opportunities and continues to. I mean, even today, getting to learn about you and your life and your story, I feel I'm, I'm blessed that I am getting to experience that. And um, God's amazing. The kingdom is just, Isn't it? it's Isn't an adventure. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot to me. Thank you for taking the time, the painful step of writing this book for mm -hmm. us. And I really encourage people to get it. It's like a real devotional trip through uh, Rich Mullen's life and legacy. I know many of my listeners would really enjoy it. So thanks for coming on, Jim. Thank you. Blessings. Thanks, Andy.